morning. Autumn is here. So is the rain. So is your favourite journal, The Book Collector. And so is Sarah Bennett, with a second reading from Anne Bayer's Biblio Vignettes that The Book Collector published between 2010 and 2014. Buick Off a Barrow by Anne Bayer, Biblio Vignettes 4. Early in the 1950s, Rupert Hart Davis published a book on Thomas Buick's wood engravings by Reynolds Stone. They decided to collect copies of the clearest, best-preserved prints made from his blocks and have them reproduced in facsimile by Ganymede Press's collotype. All of this was done to Reynolds Stone's great satisfaction and that of Richard Garnett for Rupert Hart Davis, under the supervision of Bernhard Bayer, the director of Ganymede Press's printing works. Bernhard Bayer, originally from Germany, though immensely knowledgeable of art of all periods, had never previously come across Buick's work, and, being very impressed by it, was delighted to undertake the job. Having discovered something of Buick's life, and the fact that he had written a memoir, he wanted to read it, and was amazed and gratified when he found an old copy of a memoir on a barrow of old books in Farringdon Road. It was probably about one shilling sixpence, and he bought it and read it with great interest. When some years later he and I were married, he discovered I had never read it, and advised me to do so and handed me the volume, which I also read with great pleasure and interest. Towards the end of his life, Buick was befriended by the poet and naturalist J.F.M. Doverston, who much encouraged him to write his story down and who is frequently mentioned in Buick's descriptions of his later years. As I finished reading the memoir and was talking to Bernhard about it, I glanced at the front-end papers, pale yellow, a bit scruffy, and there was the signature of Mr. Doverston and the date, the date being that of the book's publication. So the copy Bernhard had chanced upon in the barrow was the one the initiator of the book had bought or been given on publication. Many years later, my next-door neighbour, Robin Wade, the exhibitions and museum designer, was designing the Thomas Buick Birthplace Museum at Cherryburn, and one day, having its curator to lunch, invited me too. I told him the story of Mr Doverston's copy of a memoir, which naturally intrigued him. He came round to my house and I showed it to him, and gave it to him for the Buick Museum. So, at last, wherever the book had been since Mr Doverston had died, it was back where it belonged, in Buick's house. Frank, Hugh and Jeremy Biblio Vignettes 5 by Anne Bear. Some Christian names come and go in fashions. For example, in the 19th century, few boys in reality or in fiction were called Peter. But after the popularity and fame of J.M. Barrie's Peter Pan, early in the next century there have been hundreds of Peters. In 1911, when my parents, Frank and Molly Sidrick, were married, they made a list of desirable names, boys and girls, which they might give to their intended offspring. Among the boys' names was Jeremy. The name was not used in England. To connoisseurs, Jeremy Taylor, a 17th century bishop, and Jeremy Bentham, an 18th century philosopher, and Jeremy Fisher, a 20th century fictional frog, were known, but children were not so named. My parents just liked the name. It was not until their fourth child and second son was born 
1917, that they had a Jeremy. Some people then, thinking there was a connection with Jerome, spelt it Jeromey. Two years later, in 1919, Hugh Walpole published Jeremy, a book about a boy called Jeremy, which was so successful that later he wrote two sequels, Jeremy and Hamlet and Jeremy at Crail. The popularity of these books encouraged a great many parents from 1919 to call their sons Jeremy. So the great flood of Jeremys are all at least two years younger than my brother. I'm sure we all know some Jeremys now. I know that my father, the director of Sidgwick and Jackson, knew but was not a close friend of Hugh Walpole, and I know that my father sometimes told his literary friends of the births of his children. I used to have a letter, now sadly lost, from John Maysfield congratulating him on my birth, and though I have no evidence that he told Hugh Walpole of his infant son Jeremy, it seems quite possible, and if he did in 1917, it could be at the time that Walpole was thinking of writing his book, and the name stuck in his mind as suitable for the character he was inventing. A Table Outside in Tunbridge Wells Bibliovignette 6 by Anne Bayer in the early 1970s, I found on my late mother's bookshelves the manuscript diary that my father, Frank Sidgwick, had kept in 1903 or 4, when he was in Stratford-upon-Avon setting up the Shakespeare Head Press. Frank Sidgwick's diary was published in a small edition by Basil Blackwell in 1975. It is mainly of interest to historians of printing, treating of the technical problems of starting a small provincial printing house in the early 20th century. It is naturally a book for small specialist public. I wrote a short introduction to it. Some ten years later, I had occasion to go for a day to Tunbridge Wells, a place I had not been to for some 30 years and which I have not revisited since. On a short walk from the station to a bus stop, I passed a second-hand bookshop with a table outside on the pavement, piled with old books. On top of one pile was a stiff orange folder, about eight inches by five, entitled An Extract from Frank Sidgwick's Diary of 1976. As no one had ever asked my permission to reprint, I was mystified. It was £1.50 and I bought it. It contained a folded sheet of stiff, mould-made paper, about 18 inches by 23 inches, on which was printed, in various type sizes about a dozen short extracts from my father's diary. There were several misprints. There was also a note that it was set and printed at the Malvern Hills College School of Art Press by hand in 1976, in an edition of 80 copies, of which this was number 26. It listed the names of 17 printers, presumably students, one of whom was John Randall. There was an engraving of a Columbian press. I still have it. It was Roger Pringle, the director of the Shakespeare Centre in Stratford, to whom I showed it, who told me of John Randall's Whittington Press and his annual Matrix. John Randall subsequently asked me to write about the diary for Matrix and again on the origins of the Ganymede Press. All these personal contacts and connections are in the comparatively small world of hand presses and small editions, but in the huge world of second-hand books, of perishable pamphlets and tiny editions. What a rare chance that one day in my life I happened to pass the shop that happened to have put this rare pamphlet on top of a pile outside, for me, the one person in the millions in England most likely to be interested. 
That was Sarah Bennett reading from Anne Baer's Bibliovinets, first published in The Book Collector. Tune in next week for another Book Collector podcast. And in the meantime, visit thebookcollector.co.uk to read online articles, view booksellers' catalogues, and subscribe to our journal. Whether you're researching, learning, or just browsing for fun, it's the place to go. Visit thebookcollector.co.uk today.